What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too, and this is Stuff You Should Know. That's right. This is about land acknowledgments, and uh, Livia, uh, one of our awesome writers, helped us put this together, and Mm -hmm. uh, I was just noticing the other day when we're uh, when we're thinking about topics and who should tackle them, it feels like everyone has, uh, I mean, everyone can do everything, but like mm-hmm. some feel like, oh, this should be so-and-so because uh, it just feels like a fit. And I knew Livia, this would be a great fit for her, and she did a killer job. Agreed. Because this is a tough one. Uh, land acknowledgments is a uh, controversial thing. Uh, mainly because of the clunkiness in which it's carried out in most cases. Oh, boy. You just said a mouthful, friend. (laughs) Yeah, so land acknowledgments, if you don't know what we're talking about, um, if you've possibly ever been to a Montreal Canadiens game. Give us a bad example, like, in character. I just show up at a concert at a large venue in Canada. I'm going to see uh, uh, the reunion of... uh, of uh, poison and our buddy CC Deville, and I'm at the uh, the uh, Enormo Dome, and someone that looks like you walks out with a microphone before the show and go. Okay, we acknowledge that this poison show is about to take place on First Nations land, who are excellent stewards of this land, and on with the show. <laughs> Perfect bad example. <laughs> yes, that was supposed to be bad. That wasn't just me. Yeah, and that's the last time we're going to laugh in this episode. Disagree. We always say that, and then there's something funny that comes up. But it is a very, it's a serious topic because it's something that hasn't been figured out. It's still very contemporary. It's still very raw. It rouses a lot of emotions. It's a um, one of the one of those spear points of the spear of like the culture wars in America and from what I gather Canada as well and Australia New Zealand <clears throat> probably yeah um, but the the whole point of a land acknowledgement is to basically say like hey this land was probably stolen. It was probably taken from a broken treaty. The people who originally lived here were probably forced off the land. Um, They're still in terrible shape in a lot of ways today compared to their white or black or Latinx or Asian um, counterparts in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
we should probably do something about that. At the very least, we should acknowledge it and, like, keep them from getting erased from history. And it's in its ideal form, that's what a land acknowledgement is. But the problem is, is, like, there's a lot of people out there, especially who are probably right of center, who don't want to hear that kind of stuff. They don't like that. That's snowflake stuff. Mm-hmm. There are people left of center who are like, that is the most vapid thing I've ever heard. It makes no difference whatsoever. And the fact that you're even saying it makes things worse than if you didn't say anything at all. Yeah. Like, go back and go, just go away. Um, and there's the people who are actually doing these land acknowledgements who very frequently are like corporate HR reps, yeah. you know, who, who, are, who are doing it to, to like, you know, whitewash their company's activities elsewhere. Um, it, it's just a mixed bag. But yet the reason why it's important is because there's some kernel there that's that that is important that that makes sense that makes it worthwhile and worth exploring and not just tearing down not just going ahead and doing you know rote uh, but actually like using it as a jumping off point for like right. you know kind of re-exploring and revisiting history and then hopefully um creating redress to that history yeah boy well said bully it was off the cuff <laughs> Oh, you mean you wrote it down on your cuff? <laughs> yeah. And read it? <laughs> yes, and I'm wearing my very nice little orphan Annie cufflinks it's today, very too. Nice so indeed. she was staring back at me admiringly the whole time. Uh, all right, so we should dive into a little bit of the history here, because if you go to uh, Australia, um, you know, thousands of years ago, you would find something called a welcome to country ceremony from indigenous mm-hmm. people which was sort of a protocol, a diplomatic protocol, where a nation or a tribe uh, would visit another person's land and they would, uh, the people that hosted them would have a welcome to country ceremony. It might have been uh, a poem or a song. There might have been a smoking ceremony. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And in the mid-1970s, white Australians started getting into this idea and this practice And it was that year in 1976, there was a group of Maori and Cook Islander dancers who were coming. They were invited to come to uh, a a performance, a multicultural dance performance in uh, Perth at the International Arts Festival there. And they Mm -hmm. said, you know what? We're not going to come unless we are welcomed by the traditional owners of this land. Uh, In 1976, they said this. And there was a performer named Richard Wally uh, and a member of – and boy, I'm – I think <laughs> I'm going to do my best with these pronunciations. I really, really tried this time and looked everything up. Me too. Because part of, you know, the problem with a bad land acknowledgement is some dumb white person mispronouncing the name of a tribe or indigenous person. Like this. <laughs> uh, do you want to give a go on this one? <laughs> you. This is your section. All right. I, and you know, the, the the troublesome part about the internet is you can find different pronunciations. But yeah. what I landed on was was uh, in Western Australia. These were the uh, Yungar people. Very nice, Chuck. Uh, spelled N Y O O N G A R. So they all agreed uh, that this should happen. They got permission from the elders, and he welcomed the visitors. And this was Richard Wally uh, in that language and sang a song from their people. 
Yeah, and Richard Wally was a member of that that those people. So he, he you know, there was a there was a legitimacy to him performing this this welcome to country ceremony, welcoming these dancers who very rightfully and very traditionally said we're we can't really step foot in Perth unless we're welcomed. Like that's just custom. Yeah. Um and so it's it, very interesting to me that you can trace this phenomenon back to one arts festival in Perth in 1976 and this one incident, this one happening, and it just kind of spread from there. Um, it didn't, like, spread like wildfire or anything like that. It was pretty sedate. Um, it was wrapped up in, like, midnight oil stuff throughout the 80s, you know, that kind of ra- radical politics, I guess you could say, um, to where probably people on the furthest left were the ones who were carrying out welcome to country ceremonies or, or having those um, performed at their events. And then in the 90s, um, Australia really started to kind of, like, self-reflect at its history of its treatment of Aboriginal um, uh, uh, Australians. And um, one of the things that kind of came out of that, that self-reflection, was this this idea that welcome to country ceremonies were like a really great way of honoring this heritage and um, kind of bringing Aboriginal culture back into Australian society where it had been so, you know, um, zealously pushed out for so long. Yeah, and this sort of morphed over, I guess, between the 70s and the 90s in Australia to where uh, the welcome uh, to country was, in some cases, replaced by uh, a land acknowledgement or an an acknowledgement of country, which would, and this was in the the beginning days, would be a short speech. Uh, Like we said, it would recognize the uh, traditional landowners that were local. Uh, And in the 80s and 90s, it was... Sometimes an indigenous person doing this, sometimes a non-indigenous person doing this. Mm -hmm. And eventually the National Indigenous Australians Agency uh, came up with um, basically some guidelines, right? Yeah, they basically said like that whole welcome to country thing, like do not do that unless you're an indigenous person. And if you're an indigenous person, you should only be doing it if it's, you know, your people's land that this event is being held on. If you're non-Indigenous or you're Indigenous but not a member of the land, what you'd be doing is an acknowledgement of country, which is just basically like what you would call a land acknowledgement today, where you don't have to be Indigenous. You're just basically acknowledging that the land, um, you know, was originally owned, inhabited, trod upon, used, cared for by uh, an Indigenous group. Or if you want to really just kind of, you know, myth the whole thing, just say Indigenous people in general. Right. Uh, and Canada is where it took off in North America first. And this is not that long ago. This was about, uh, what, seven years ago in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, released a big report that year, uh, basically addressing the residential schools and the removal. And we should do a, a episode about this for sure. Uh, yeah. The removal of indigenous children from their families and basically said this was a cultural genocide. And this is when Justin Trudeau was coming into office. And he was really big on, you know, and during the campaign for sure, on reconciliation with indigenous people as a big part of his uh, platform and something he wanted to get accomplished in office. Yeah. And so, like, just like in Australia, the idea of land acknowledgments seemed to be a really good uh, low-hanging fruit um, as far as kind of reintroducing the presence of indigenous first nation people into Canadian society. Um, 
and and you know not ignoring them, not erasing them from history, actually you know acknowledging them in in the past that that this that took place here um, or there in Canada. Um, but the thing is, is it also kind of like uh, underscores just how easy it is, which can be problematic, as we'll see too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it spread from Canada to the U.S. It trickled down south uh, in the late uh, 2010s. <laughs> is that how you would say that? Sure. Like 2017, 2018. Uh, in 2017, the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, which sounds like a government agency, but it's not. It's an independent group. Uh, they published a guide to land acknowledgments for the United States. Uh, the group's founder, Adam Horowitz, uh, came out and said that it was downloaded more than 7,000 times. And uh, he said, one lonely beastie I be. All by myself, I got nobody. <laughs> very nice. And uh, very bad dad joke. I thought it was a great joke. I didn't even think it was dad. I don't think you okay. can make a dad joke about the Beastie Boys unless <laughs> you, it's you had one at the how ready, beastly right? they are. Written sure. on your cuff? Mm-hmm. What was it? Can you, can you say your version? The King Ed Rock, that is my name, and I know the fly spot where they got the <laughs> <Okay>. champagne. <laughs> Uh, I taught my daughter a line that was uh, not something that a kid should say when she was like four and Emily was so mad at me. She was so afraid she was going to say it in kindergarten. And uh, I think she's forgotten it by now. Uh, I'll tell you off the air. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, for that tease. Uh, but now in the United States, uh, you will find cities like Denver, Phoenix, and Portland that have adopted these guidelines uh, the National Park Service has, NASA has, you might have heard it at the Academy Awards, or the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, or the Democratic National Convention, not the Republican National Convention. No. Uh, and so this is a thing that is kind of brand new, if you look at a timeline, over the past three or four years, that America is treading into very gingerly. Gingerly, awkwardly, keeps running into the doorframe, all sorts of different <laughs> stuff. And I think before we kind of go back into, uh, you know, why you would even do this and how you would do it, I feel like we should take a commercial break. Let's do it. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So um, there are a number of reasons to, to to use a land acknowledgement. And again, this is usually what opens your meeting, your conference. Um, you know, it, like you could see it if you're in a beautiful, like, conference hall mm-hmm. in, like, the woods in a kind of a beautiful remote area. I can totally see that. But I've also heard of these things being used on, like, conference calls and right, yeah. just at regular meetings in the city. Um, just... It, it, so it can get kind of weird, but the overall point of it is that if you are, um, if you're not an indigenous person, and you're reading a land acknowledgement, supposedly you're thanking the the um, people of the who used to live there um, in pre-colonial days um, for being stewards of the land. Um, you probably also are in some way, shape, or form whether subtly or overtly, also acknowledging that violence is why they don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and violence by the um, white colonists and, and, and or the federal government. And then also, if you really want to make your land acknowledgement pop, you can say, and this is how how we can build connections to these people who have been harmed and are still harmed. Um, and it, it can get even more nuanced and deeper than that. Yeah, and, you know, it's a mouthful to get up before your uh, your work conference and talk about people being raped and murdered and displaced 
and treaties broken and the fact that the uh, oppression of in- indigenous Americans is ongoing mm-hmm. and uh, the problem is far from solved. Like that's, <laughs> that's going to put a damper on whatever awesome energy you're trying to start with. So, <laughs> right, if it's a sales conference or something. Yeah. So right. it's, it, people are trying to figure out the best way to do that. And sometimes as we'll learn, it is a, uh, a, a shorter acknowledgement where they will then point people to, Hey, our company has this website or a page yes, on our this site. QR code. Right. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, where you can really dive in and learn about what we can do. And this is what our own company is doing, including hiring programs or training programs with the people who once lived here. Uh, that is the ideal is that it's a, you know, there, there's actual something being done and it's not just words being spoken. Uh, right. So, you know, they're still trying to figure this out. Who knows where it will end up, but it's uh, been a little clumsy so far, like you said, bumping into doorways. Yep. And there are also other like um, other reasons why people do land acknowledgments rather than just kind of like make their their company look you know with it or, or sympathetic or Dare empathetic I even. <laughs> I was not going to, but yes, you could use that word. Uh-huh. One of them is to to just show solidarity and support for the idea of truth and reconciliation. Yeah, to just say like, oh, you wanted to pump all the Biffs and Muffies up to go sell a bunch of mufflers? Well, T.S., because I'm going to suck the air out of this room <laughs> with this clunky land acknowledgement, yeah. and it's going to make them think a lot more than this, you know, little page that you guys have on your website that five people are going to visit in the history of the Internet, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there are some people who say, like, yeah, that's exactly what it's supposed to sure. do is to kind of suck, suck people into it. Um, also, another big thing is to kind of um, begin to repair relationships between um, American society and the indigenous cultures that have kind of been pushed out of American society and continue to be kept there. Um, Acknowledgement of the the fact that, like, the American government did a lot of really terrible stuff to indigenous people in addition to enslaved people uh, in the past and that just by talking about it in random weird places Mm -hmm. makes people think about it. It keeps it from being erased. It actually does the opposite of keeping it from being erased. It kind of scribbles it almost like graffiti into everyday life of people. Um, A good land acknowledgement could do that. So there's a lot of different reasons to do it beyond what I think most people who are opposed to land acknowledgements accuse people doing that of, which is morally performing. Yeah. It's moral like exhibitionism is what a lot of people yeah. uh, challenge it with. And it's it's not. It's not supposed to be, at least. That's right. Uh, so I guess we could talk a little bit about how you go about doing this to begin with. Uh, the first thing, the, there's something called the Native Governance Center, which is a nonprofit, a native-led nonprofit that has resources for Native nations. And you know, it's a good place to start because they will say, hey, if you go to do this, the first thing you should do is take a good hard look in the mirror as a company. And why are you doing this to begin with? And if your reason is just to rattle off something so you appear to be uh, forward thinking and acknowledging something in a sort of a blithe way, then that's not a good reason to do it. Uh, after that, after you have uh, made made that right within yourself as a company and you want to press forward – then you have to do some research because you can't just open Wikipedia and say, oh, this uh, the Apple headquarters is built 
on the land of these people, because it says so right here in the sentence. So let me just type up a quick little thing, da, 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 and we're done. Um, right. it, it is very, it can be very challenging to find who the indigenous peoples of a land are because they moved around a lot and because they were forcibly removed a lot. Uh, they sometimes traveled with the waters and the riverways, and it's it's not as easy as you might think. So you have to really put in the work to to really find this out. And as we'll see, one of the controversies is putting that onus on the indigenous peoples and saying, yeah, right. well, hey, let's just go find some of them and let them do this research for us. And uh, we're not going to pay them or anything like that, but like we want to get it right and they want to get it right, right? So they'll just do it for us, right? Yeah, I saw that compared to, so like a land acknowledgement is basically like a receipt that a thief gives you after stealing <laughs> your stuff. But then having wow. an indigenous group actually create the land acknowledgement for you is having somebody that you've just stolen from write the receipt to themselves <laughs> on your behalf. That's, but that's ultimately that's what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, there are actually, like, um, websites, there's apps that have been set up to to help make land acknowledgement research a little easier. Um, I found one. You can text your zip code to 907-312-5085. That is not a rickroll or spam. I tried it myself. (laughs) And it texts you back um, a a name of, like, the group that you are— that lived in your area. That seems like The Simpsons, <laughs> doesn't it? Kind of a little bit. If, if but it's you legit. Just, it, it, yes, but if you just, um, if you, like you said, you just take that, copy and paste it into your land acknowledgement, right. and that's that, then you've just done something that's worse than not doing a land acknowledgement at all, which is an incompetent, inept, um, thoughtless land acknowledgement. There's, there's, that's literally worse than not doing a land acknowledgement. Yeah. So after you've done your research and you have really found out the true origins of the people of that space that you're in, Mm -hmm. uh, you should reach out to them. uh, And like I said, not just dash off your own uh, few lines on, on your computer, but actually get in touch with them and say, Hey, um, I don't want you to do the work for me, but can we work together on this? And how, how would, how would you like this to go down? Uh, how much detail would you like? And it can be as if, and you know, maybe follow their lead uh, for a change and see what they want. And they said that that's a really good second step. Yeah. And you also, you might not be able to fit as much detail as you want to, or certainly everything you turn up in your research, if you do decent research, because again, Land acknowledgments and following kind of that tradition of welcome to country um, ceremonies, they go at the beginning of an event. And because these are such random events from a corporate retreat to uh-huh. a Canadian's hockey game, like, it's it's bolted onto the front. There's no easy way to, to put it in there except to just do it. And so to take up a lot of space at the beginning of a Canadian's game or a corporate retreat or whatever, explaining like the detailed history and like intertribal relations between, you know, the, the people who lived on this land before and then their, their dealings with the United States government and like their removal and what are they doing today? What can we do to help them? Like that's, that's not what land acknowledgements are meant to be, but ultimately for a, a satisfying, like decent, good land acknowledgement, you have to figure out how to distill that down into just a few sentences. It's Whoa. almost like writing poetry, you know? Dude, retirement job for us. 
<laughs> I guess so. We should start up the landacknowledgers.com. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of every single thing, mm-hmm. Josh and Chuck show up and do a short stuff. Right. Just say, give us 15 minutes. Yeah. And we will speak of all the atrocities and bring this room down to its lowest point mm-hmm. and then say, thanks, everybody. Uh, and Microsoft, we'll say sh- write us a big fat check. <laughs> That's right. We'll say short stuff out. Short stuff is out. And so are we. Man, that could be a pretty good gig for us. Yeah, I think you're right, Chuck. We actually, I'm, I was wondering what we were going to do in retirement, but now Let's I know. Just do that. I have a real sense of security now. Thank you. Sure. So one of the things you're probably going to run into, though, too, Chuck, is you were saying like it's it's not as straightforward as, oh, this is the people who used to live here. I'm just going to copy and paste. You have to do some research. And when you're doing research, you're going to find out that there might be like more than one group that claims land to this. So that kind of opens up a whole kettle of worms, too, while you're making this, because the whole point of this is to acknowledge the people who whose land this was. And if you suddenly have two groups who are saying, this is my land, no, this is my land, you're about you're a non-indigenous person about to step in to, to kick your event off right, to step into a hundreds of years old hornet's nest. Um, you know, you really have to be careful. If you're going to do this right, you, you need to understand a lot more than what it takes to just write a few sentences. It's, again, I just really wanted to hit that point. Yeah, and, you know, it can go beyond just land acknowledgement. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also something called land and labor acknowledgement, where if you do your research, you might find, all right, there were the indigenous peoples that lived here. But then this very town, this very city, was sort of built on the backs of enslaved Africans. And that's the only reason why this place is a place now. So let's include that. Uh, the University of Chicago's Land and Labor Acknowledgement uh, mentions the the four native nations that were forcibly removed in what is Chicago and what is now Chicago, and that the university was built on land donated by a man named Stephen A. Douglas, whose fortune was the product of uh, enslaved Africans. So, you know, once you open this can of worms, it's it's pretty clear that there is a lot of acknowledgement to go around. Yeah. And usually it's institutional. I mean, like you could trace the history of any plot of land and find all sorts of horrific things that individuals have done to other individuals. But it's usually, you're, what, ultimately you're tracing like institutional violence against groups is the point of land acknowledgement yes. or labor acknowledgements. Right. What's sad is if you start scratching beneath the surface of the history of any city, Chuck, mm-hmm. you find that virtually none of them were built on rock and roll. It was no. <laughs> way darker than that in every case. Basically. I don't know what Jefferson Starship was talking about. They they were just lying. Yeah, flat out lying. Yep. Makes me really second guess the whole white rabbit thing too. <laughs> Although that was Jefferson Airplane, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Sure. I know what you mean. I'm hip. I'm I'm fly. Is Yeah, because you just made a We Built the City on Rock and Roll reference. That's right. The worst song in the history of music. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, come on. You don't like uh, that song. Oh, sure I do. I'm not like... Guilty Pleasure? It's not like my favorite song. I don't have it on, on my phone or anything. But if it's on, I will... There's a... Th- 70% chance I won't turn it. <laughs> you know what Guilty Pleasure song I've been rocking this week? What? It, which is a great song, and I shouldn't even call it a Guilty Pleasure, but uh, The Sign by Ace of Bass. Oh, yeah. All of their work was really good. It's such a great song, and my daughter loves it now. And when you have a kid who loves something, they're like, I want to listen to it four times on the way to school. <laughs> so I've been singing The Sign for two weeks straight. That's like, great. In my head. It's pretty great. 
That is good. Are you wearing like a little black ribbon choker now? Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm unashamed about my love of Ace of Bases or some good Sure, tunes. as you should be. Guilty schmilty, you know? <laughs> I'll tell you something uh, as far as guilty pleasures go that I'm pretty um, happy with. Uh, I watched the Betty Broderick story starring Ma- Meredith Baxter Burney um, from like 1992. Who's Betty Broderick? Do you remember that? She was a woman who um, was divorced by her husband uh, and did not take that very well and kind of went off the rails, culminating in her going and sneaking into her ex-husband and his his new wife's bedroom at night and murdering them both with a gun. <laughs> yeah, it's And she Meredith well. Baxter Burney, the mom from Family yeah, Ties, yeah. is the one who plays <laughs> Betty, Betty Broderick. And she does it so Well, yeah, and it's like a two part, three hour made for TV movie. It's on Amazon Prime if you have that. And it is every minute of it is just wonderful and great to watch. Yeah, I love some of this stuff. Like, let's reject prestige TV that's going on now and let's just go back to those days. I say we just include all the good stuff. Also, one more thing while we're while we're not talking about anything about land acknowledgments for Uh a minute. Have you seen um, Promising Young Woman? Oh yeah, sure. I that saw was that, a uh, really good movie. Out. It was great. I I had no idea, but it was. I would highly recommend that as well. Yeah, it was awesome. So before we talk about criticisms, uh, which we'll get to last, we should talk a little bit about the ideal, which is um, that it that it doesn't just stop there on stage with an acknowledgement before you kick off the muffler sales conference. Uh, there are ways that you can actually take action to make things better for indigenous people because they're still suffering today in mo- in a lot of cases. Uh, it might be uh, political uh, causes that are uh, championed by Native Americans. It might be uh, universities offering free tuition for indigenous, uh, I was about to say kids, but people of all ages, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned hiring programs by those very corporations that now sit on that land. Uh, those are all some great things that you companies can do to take action. Yeah, and you as a person, as an individual, if there's things that you want to do, um, you can show up to Native American rallies just to show support. Um, you can, uh, there's a movement in um, Seattle called Real Rent Duwamish, um, which says, hey, if you live in the Seattle area, you should pay rent to the Duwamish tribe because this is originally their that. land. Yeah. Um, and the reason why there's so much to do is because Native Americans in the United States have lived in this limbo um, world, just, again, just kept out of American society for so long. And unlike Canada, unlike Australia, the United States has not engaged in anything even approaching a truth and reconciliation or any kind of deep reflection about the history and the historical treatment of Native Americans in America. Um, And so this still continues. And so, like, uh, Native American is... um, likelier to live in in poverty more than any other uh, group in America. Um, There's a huge problem of the um, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, which is such a problem. It has its own acronym. Yeah. M-M-I-W-G. And that, of course, deserves its own episode, too. We've gotten requests for that before. Yeah, for sure. Um, Apparently, there's also an issue, uh, Livia writes, that Native American kids are— frequently taken away from their families and put with white foster families, even when there's no evidence of abuse in the house. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still, there's so much stuff we could be doing for Native American people in the United States. The, 
that it completely undermines in a lot of ways the very presence of land acknowledgments because people say, like, there's so much to do. That is That has nothing to do with it. Like, actually go do the actual stuff. And I saw this... Um, this article by a guy named Graham Wood. It was in the Atlantic. It's called Land Acknowledgements mm-hmm. or Just Moral Exhibitionism. That was good. He was the one who basically said that, you know, getting a, a, a Native American or an indigenous person to write your land acknowledgement was like getting them to write the receipt for the land you stole from them, you yeah. know? Um, he said, I'm going to quote, Some people argue that land acknowledgements are gestures of respect. I'm not sure one can show respect while also being indifferent to a people's existence. The statements are counterfeit versions of respect. Teen Vogue put it well, if unintentionally, quote, land acknowledgement is an easy way to show honor and respect to the indigenous people. And he goes on and then he says, real respect occurs only when accompanied by time, work, or something else Mm -hmm. of value. Learning basic facts about a particular tribe might be a start. Yeah. And I think that's the whole idea is that this is a starting point and the bare minimum Mm -hmm. for what should be a series of steps, especially if you're a corporation. Yes. Now, that's a huge thing. Like, you know, it's one thing if you're a person and you're having like like a poetry slam and you do this. That's cool. You're probably more likely to actually be doing something of action to help indigenous and Native American people than the corporation is, who's having land acknowledgments researched and written and and performed at their retreats and their conferences and stuff like that. And so it's really well within fair game to call corporate America out Mm -hmm. about using land acknowledgments because they're doing virtually nothing in the real world to help indigenous and Native American groups. Yeah. And in fact, in a lot of ways, they're actually oppressing them further and continuing their oppression and keeping them in a cycle of poverty. You got big cuffs today, my friend. Little Orphan Annie is crying (laughs) chrome-plated tears right now. All right, let's take our last break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the criticisms uh, and uh, sort of poke around a little bit at the land back movement as well. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, if we're going to talk criticisms of land acknowledgments, we already talked about sort of um, a lot about the criticisms of, you know, how they're done poorly uh, for people that support them. But there are people that don't support doing them at all. Um, the United Conservative Party of Canada, uh, when they took control in Alberta, stopped land acknowledgments, uh, period. And, uh, you know, right wing Canadian politicians have called it just pr- political correctness. Uh, I'm sure here in America, the word woke and wokeism has been used to uh, refer to stuff like this. Uh, but there's also criticisms that, like, history isn't even being portrayed accurately to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, there's there was a huge kind of, I guess, a political fight in um, Montreal when the Canadians started um, – started uh, doing land acknowledgements for their games. They were thanking the Ganyan Geha uh, tribe, or the Mohawk nation is how uh, most of us know of them. Um, and then it came up after they started doing these, the people were like, uh, I don't think this was actually their land. Like, yeah, they lived here, but I don't think it was their land. So the the Canadians had to um, revise it a little bit. And they still um, included the Ganyan Geha um, uh like reference, um, but they also um, observed or acknowledged other tribes too. But then a lot of people were like, see, can't even get it right historically. Why is anybody doing this at all? And other people are like, look, yes, we we got it slightly wrong historically, but that's certainly no reason to throw this out um, entirely. And the, the point is to like actually acknowledge these people and that their land was stolen, you know, even if you don't get it exactly right. And that's a, that's a big debate too. Yeah, and just the the 
the way that you talk about this land is can be a little problematic to begin with because it wasn't, you know, it's not appropriate to say that they owned this land uh, yeah. because the idea of ownership to indigenous people of land wasn't even a thing. Uh, it, you know, I guess a lot of times I think they're called for being stewards of the land. Uh, that's, I guess, an acceptable workaround in a lot of cases. But I, I know that it's it's all just sort of a lightning rod for criticism, you know? Yeah, the idea that they're stewards of the land, um, I mean, the, the like, there's an, some Native American cultures saw that themselves as that, but others are like, no, we, you know, we belong to the land, so this yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. And then what's more, we really care more about these bodies of water than we do the land. Are you right. guys mentioning that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's almost all criticisms come back to land acknowledgement doing it wrong. And then if so, if somebody's really hopping on a very small thing, they probably don't like the idea of land acknowledgements in the first place or acknowledging the plight of indigenous peoples in their country. Um, but ultimately, if you do agree with it and you have a problem with it, it's it's that it's being done wrong is usually what your problem is. Yeah, and again, if you uh, were to reach out to these people to begin with, you have a way better chance of getting it right, I think. Right. Um, the other thing is that if you're not actually saying, if you're just saying we acknowledge that this land used to be uh, inhabited and cared for by indigenous peoples who lived here, and, and you know, that's it. There's almost like a unspoken like, and thanks to them for that. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're keeping the, the existence of how that land changed hands from those people to your conference center, you know, and all the history in between. Yeah. And all you're doing is perpetuating keeping the history of indigenous people out of society, outside, in a mythic past. Yeah. That can be easily romanticized, too, because Native American tribes did a lot of unsavory stuff or that we would today find unsavory. And a, a mythic past, too, that puts you at risk of, like, you know— turning the Native American people into the noble savage, um, which is a huge issue in and of itself, too. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes back to just doing it right, doing your research, doing it right, and then fitting it into a comprehensive but concise land acknowledgement. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and all of this, you know, I mentioned the land back movement. Uh, this is This is a different topic, but I think we can sort of cover the broad strokes here at the end. Uh, the idea of giving land back to these people, it sounds crazy. Like, how would we even do that? But it has happened a little bit here and there, uh, mm -hmm. which may surprise some of you. Um, the land back movement in uh, the Black Hills, which uh, here in the United States where the Mount Rushmore uh, monument is located, was a sacred Lakota site. And in 1980, the Supreme Court of the United States said, you know what, this land was stolen. Uh, and it violated the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. So why don't we settle this with uh, with money uh, and offer some financial compensation as a settlement? And the Lakota tribe said, no, we don't want that. Uh, mm -hmm. And they are still to this day pushing for the return of the Black Hills land. Uh, there's an Ojibwe writer named David uh, Truer that said, you know, how about we take the 85 million acres of national park land and we all own it uh, with a with a big federally organized and recognized group of tribes that are still around. Um, give that back to us, and you can still come here, but we can hunt on it and we can farm on it. And a little bit of that is happening. Some parts of the national park or national forest 
they have allowed some hunting for uh, indigenous peoples and some farming, which is going mm. on. But he's like, eh, why don't you just give it all to us? Yeah. And you can still come visit, but that would be a nice start. You could still come visit for sure. Um, they've also found that there's it's a really good way of preserving forests as well. Like we we kind of talked about it in the national parks episode where the national or the forest service is like, oh, we don't have any idea what we're doing wrong here. Maybe we should ask the Native American tribes who used to live here, who managed this land, to kind of give us some pointers. And they found that that land back actually helps like restore forests and ecosystems that yeah. were, that are proving to be problematic because uh, we don't really quite know how to how to make them work correctly or allow them to work correctly. Yeah, they did it in Minnesota uh, just a couple of years ago in 2020. Um, they transferred almost 12,000 acres of Forest Service land uh, to a federal trust for the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. So, it's happened here and there. It's uh, Livy also points out that it's happened with individuals. Uh, there are a few cases of just landowners uh, in the United States that said, here, you know, have this two or three acres. I mean, it hasn't been like thousands of acres yet at this point. Mm. But the fact that individual uh, citizens of the United States are giving land back uh, to indigenous peoples is a, I think it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a, it's a good yeah. start. Agreed. Uh, that's certainly putting your money where your mouth is and not just reading a land acknowledgement, you know? Yeah, or, like you said, paying actual rent. That's putting your money where your mouth mm-hmm. is. You got anything else about land acknowledgements? I got nothing else. Uh, I hope we did a good job. You know, we mentioned doing this one, mm-hmm. and we got a bunch of emails from people that said, really helpful emails that said, hey, just wait into this carefully. I, I think they thought, um, and they don't know us. Of course we're going to do a good job, but they thought that we might just be like, hey, Reading a thing is great, and that kind of solves all the problems. Yeah. Not true. And we would dust our hands off as we walked away from the mics. No, not at all. Uh, if you want to know more about land acknowledgements, go to a Montreal Canadiens game, a Microsoft retreat, or just go onto the internet and start doing some research yourself. It's pretty interesting stuff, and it's, a like Chuck said, a good place to start. Uh, and since I said a good place to start, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, that's right. And before I read a listener mail and we were uh, recommending TV shows and movies, uh, since this is appropriate, we I got to recommend the great TV show from last year, Reservation Dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned it once on the show, but it is fantastic. And it, and it uh, explores the lives of these teenagers in rural Oklahoma, uh, indigenous teenagers. And it is... Uh, I think Taika Waititi is the executive producer, but uh, the show is uh, written and directed and crewed up mainly by indigenous peoples. And it is a great show. It is very funny, uh, very moving, very heartwarming. I love it. I love it. Can't wait for season two. Very nice. All right. Listener mail. What should I do here? How about the Slopey Pub? Okay. Uh, And what we have here is a a listener that uh, very much accurately named the Slopey Pub that I went to in Manchester. And while I'm doing that, I believe someone found the one in Ireland for you, correct? Yeah, the Brazen Head down by the Guinness factory. It's amazing. That's right. And uh, do you know who sent that to you? Can Mm. you find that while I read this? Yes. All right. So I'm going to read this. Uh, Hey, guys, just finished listening to the episode on pubs. It was great. I think you mentioned the Sloping Pub on a previous episode. And being from Manchester, I immediately knew what you were referring to. I think the pub in question is the Marble Arch. 
which is just on the outskirts of the city center. It's a great place that's run by a small brewery, and wow, is that floor confusing if you've had a few. Uh, keep up the great work. I've been listening for five years. Can't get enough, especially with subjects like these that have local relevance. Uh, and I looked it up. He sent a couple of pictures. It was for sure the Marble Arch, and it is not uh, in the city center where all the other kind of hangout uh, pubs and bars are. I was on a walk, and I stumbled upon it. And uh, if you're ever in Manchester, go check it out because it's great. And that is from Hugh. Nice. And also, we want to say thank you very much to Susie from Dublin, or at the very least used to work in Dublin, uh, who correctly named the Brazen Head for me. So thanks, Susie and Hugh. Awesome. I knew they would come through. Yeah, we'll come through thanks to Susie and Hugh. <laughs> if you want to be like Susie and or Hugh, you can get in touch with us via email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.